But these are not tasteful, right? <laughs> and they're not meant to be tasteful, okay? <laughs> are these tasteful? Oh, well. Well, I'm going to buy out Jamestown worth of tinsel this week then. And uh, we will have this church gaudy if it's the last thing I do. Uh, no, but honestly, um, you know, the point of this season, you know, as we talked about uh, last week, is that um, it, it's, been, it's been kind of... Um, uh, the, it's been kind of the way to celebrate Christmas in the last few years or uh, really for a long time now is to, you know, strip everything down, make it nice and simple, you know, um, get back to the reason for the season. And of course, I'm not, I'm not, you know, like I'm not being down on the reason for the season, of course, but, um, but there is something lost, right? When we don't take an opportunity to even over top celebrate the reason that we have season, right? We have reason to celebrate. We have reason to celebrate more than anyone else has reason to celebrate during this season. And so it is fitting, right? That if we are going to have a party, that this is a good season to have a party, right? And so we want to have fun this season. And so we've named this Christmas series, Oh, What Fun. Um, and today we're going to talk about how the people in our lives, especially around the holiday season, um, man, they can be fun, and they can also be just disastrous, right? Um, I do want to get to a, a few things first. So um, every, every week during the season, we've kind of tried to plan something fun, right? So as you came in this morning, there was a small little photo booth um, out in the corner there by the coffee. If you didn't get a chance to get with your people, right? This is oh what fun people, right? Your people, right? So even if you came alone today, you've got people. You've got people in this room, right? You've got, uh, you've got people in this room that love you, that care for you, that love seeing you every day, right? And, 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 and we want to celebrate that. So, so get a picture in the photo booth um, after... Uh, after service today if you didn't get one on the way in, okay? Um, second is that after or later tonight, later this evening at 6.30 p.m. back here at the church, we're going to be having like a, fa not a family movie night, just a movie night, right? Um, if you want to come by yourself, come by yourself. But uh, we're going to be showing the movie The Star, and it's kind of a uh, comedic, um, cartoonish um, display of the nativity it's the nativity story all right it's a great movie it's a lot of fun it's really funny here at 6 30 we'll have some snacks bring your kids bring your family bring your neighbors bring your nieces your nephews your grandkids whatever come back at 6 30 for uh, a nice movie tonight we've also uh as you see up front we've been announcing this for a couple weeks and uh we have some showing up and these are so much fun. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm so excited to be able to deliver these. We've taken on an effort here in, in, during the Christmas season to provide a family gift basket for every foster family in Chautauqua County. All right? We need 50 of them. So we're one fraction of a way there. Uh, math is hard. Um, we're not close. Um, uh, but 
uh, so we, we need some more. Uh, I have had some people donate some money and are going to ask us to do some shopping. So these will, they'll be up here in the next few weeks. But if you would like to provide a gift basket, a family-oriented gift basket for a foster family in Chautauqua County, um, please make sure you have it here by next Sunday, we're going to have them all up here. We're going to pray over them. And then on, uh, on the 10th, next week, next Monday, uh, we'll be delivering them to those families, okay? Who is ready for the mission team to get home? I am ready. <laughs> Ellen and I are ready to not be the only staff members here. Um, we, we are ready. They, uh, the trip has gone very well. Today is kind of like the last the last full day in country for them. They're going to be winding down, relaxing, uh, kind of resting, getting ready for the trip home. They leave early, early, early tomorrow morning, 23, 23 conduits, including Pastor Corey uh, and Katie and the rest of those who are leading the team uh, come back from Honduras um, tomorrow. So please remember them in your prayers uh, tomorrow as they travel. Okay, so, um, you know, there is, uh, we, we have tremendous reason, we have tremendous reason to celebrate this season. Um, I think everyone would agree with that, and everyone, everyone knows all of the reasons that we have to celebrate, right? There's the, there's the traditional reasons, like um, the things that we thought were, when we thought about what makes the Christmas season fun, we... That's kind of what we base the series off of. Well, people. The people that are around us make the Christmas season fun, right? Um, the music around the Christmas season. That, that just, the music's just fun, right? Um, food. The food around the Christmas season. That's, man, that's just fun, right? And so, oh, so we're going to do things around people. And we're going to do things around music. And we're going to do things around, around food. The gifts. Let's not lie, Right? Gifts are fun. It's fun to give gifts. It's fun to receive gifts. Right? And, 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 and instead of rejecting, right, all things that seem only materialistic about the season, right, why don't we, as, uh, as people who follow Jesus Christ, as people who, who follow the God that is in the business of redemption, why don't we just begin to redeem the idea of gift giving and gift receiving and do it in a way that brings glory to God. Amen? And so, and so those are the things that are fun and those are the things that we're going to celebrate. Um, and uh, geez, you know, when, when I think about the Christmas season and when I think about um, what in my, in my mind or in my memory was the best thing about Christmas, um, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't have the most, you know, if you, if you lined five people's childhood, childhoods up next to each other, you probably wouldn't pick mine first. Um, and this isn't a, you know, like, this isn't a sob story. I, I mean, I know, boo-hoo, life is hard, right? Difficult circumstances and experiences and relationships. But, um, you know, my, my childhood was not, was not one that I would like anyone to or experience with exception of one time per year and that was as growing up as a child was Christmas the Christmas season when we got to go to my my um, my grandma and my grandpa Richter's house 
who live in Watertown, uh, New York. And we would go up there, and um, all of the cousins and all of the aunts and uncles would meet up there, and they have this really big, you know, kind of like Victorian house, and it could fit all the family, you know. They, my grandma, you know, decorated with 900 Santa Clauses all over the place, and like everything, I should have brought my grandma here to decorate. It would have been gaudy, um, right? <coughs> um, but there was just so much joy. I felt so safe. There was so much peace but also excitement, and there was family, and there was food, and I felt loved, and I felt like I belonged, and I felt like I had a place, and it was like warm, and everything that you would hope that the Christmas season would be, not just for you, but really for anyone. Um, there was really, uh, when I look back on it, there was like, like the magic, part of the magic about it was the innocence of the whole thing. Like there was just there was just this innocence in my mind about it. Like every, I mean, like I, I literally have no bad memories of Christmas at my grandma's house ever. None. Zero bad memories. It was perfect. And the people were perfect. And the experiences were perfect. And the food was perfect. Everything about it was just, was just perfect. But, but it wasn't perfect, Right? Like, you remember it as perfect. But the reality, the reality behind it is that, is that as, as we grow as people, as, as we grow in, in maturity, our, our perception of reality also changes away from kind of this blind innocence that says, Everything is perfect. Everything is great. I love all my family. They all, like, love being around them. I can't wait to go to Christmas this year to the reality of what it is now. And, like, you begin to grow and people begin to change and you begin to experience different things. And, and now it's kind of like, yeah, I honestly would rather just remember Grandma's house rather than go there again. For Christmas. I mean, if it was just like me and my family, like maybe, right? Me and my wife and my kids, right? But the rest of my family, right? Now that I'm like my mid-30s and the rest of my family has grown and matured and my cousins, you know, they have their own husbands and wives and kids and my aunts and uncles or my grandma and grandpa are a little bit more grumpy than they've ever been before, right? And, you know, it's kind of just like, you know, the innocent perception of everything being perfect there is gone. And now reality is here. And you realize that the people that you always thought were perfect, really they're just people like you and I, right? But, see, this is not a downer on my family. I love my family, right? But it's to point out the reality that it's the people of Christmas, it's the people that we spend time with in Christmas that can bring some of the greatest joy to our lives. But it's also the, the people that can make this season absolutely dreadful. Right? You, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Just think about it. There is, right? There is something this Christmas season that you are dreading. Not because of the experience itself, but because of the people that you'll need to spend time with. 
There, there is something that you, that you are planning, that you, that you have to do, right? That it's a part of the Christmas season, and you're dressed because there's going to be that one person there, right? Or there's going to be that group of people there. Or it's just like individually, your family's all like awesome. When they get together, disaster, right? Just a mess. And so the people in your life can bring the greatest amount of joy during this season, but they can also bring the greatest amount of dread. Like, man, I do not want to do that. I do not want to go there. I do, there's nothing celebratory about that. Am I right? Or just me? Just me that doesn't want to see my family? All right. <sighs> um, all right, so take out, uh, take out your scripture this morning. Uh, turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read a, a portion of that Christmas story here, and it's uh, kind of like the, it's kind of like the prequel to the Gospel, or to the uh, Christmas story in Luke chapter 1. We got a little bit of reading to do this morning, um, but it really sets the stage for what we the rest of what we'll talk about here. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can get one. Of course, there's Bibles on, your, on the phone. If you have the Conduit Ministries app, there is uh, a Bible on the app that you can access as well. But Luke chapter 1, um, starting at verse 5. We're going to read 40 verses here, okay? So if you can just hang with me for a minute. Uh, let the story unfold, okay? In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiha. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time came for burning of incense... All of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He was prophesying about the birth of John the Baptist, of course, right? Elizabeth and Zechariah's child, John the Baptist. 
Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm, I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. Pretty good resume. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. All right, so birth announcement number one. Right? Zechariah and Elizabeth are having a baby. Exciting times, right? Birth announcement number two, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am only a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. That's, those are the two backstories, all right? Critical for us to know those as we go into this verses 39 through 45, okay? The two pregnant women come together, right? At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So Mary walks into Elizabeth's home, 
right? Greets Elizabeth. We, we presume as a, like, a, we're both pregnant, but guess what? It's kind of a different situation, right? And Elizabeth proclaims that upon hearing the voice of Mary, that the baby inside of her leaped for joy, and they both got this overwhelming sense from the Holy Spirit that something was going on here, that, that, the, Lord was, that the Lord was really doing something, right? But just think about the incredible difference in these two stories. You have Elizabeth, right? Married to Zechariah. He's a priest. She's out of the lineage of Aaron, right? Even, um, even the writer Luke says that they were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. We would, we would, we would categorize Zechariah and, as, and Elizabeth as good people, right? But man, they just, they weren't able to they have kids and just such a sad story. And man, if, if only, right? If only. And then all of a sudden, right? Gabriel comes on the scene in Zechariah's life. Hey, man, your wife's going to be pregnant. The Lord's going to do it. It's going to be awesome, right? And so like, there's this reason to celebrate. There's this thing going on that God is doing and an angel has come on the scene. God had mercy on Zechariah and Elizabeth. God did, uh, God did a Miracle, let's, let's, I mean, can you imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth's families, right? Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant, finally, right? Brothers and sisters, you're going to be an aunt, you're going to be an uncle. We're finally going to get to have parents or be parents, right? The excitement and the celebration of something that has so long been desired has now been accomplished, right? And there's reason to celebrate. They're not hiding it from anyone. They're not ashamed of it about it, um, for any reason, it's just all good. People are a little weirded out why Zechariah can't speak anymore, right? But you get what I'm saying? Like, there's reason to celebrate. But then you have Elizabeth's relative. It doesn't tell us exactly how they are um, uh, related. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age. So Mary... And presumably a cousin, maybe, we don't know. But Mary is pregnant as well. Um, listen, we have done a great job at romanticizing the, the, um, the conception of Jesus, right? The Blessed Virgin Mary, the celebration of the nativity scene, right? Oh, Mary and Joseph gather around the manger, a.k.a. the feeding trough in a barn, right? Okay. Um, gathered around the manger, and there's hay and camels and donkeys, and it's warm, and there's an angel sitting on the roof, right? Um, and the shepherds and the wise men and the gifts, and it's like, Oh, just love the Christmas story. Listen, you need to understand how, um, quite honestly, scandalous this would have been. How, how absolutely not exciting, not celebratory, 
Not something that you want to scream from the rooftops. Not something like there, there was probably this sense of I'm glad that we're having this baby out in the barn because, um, man, this is like, I am, I'm not married. It's disgraceful, right? It would have been absolutely disgraceful in Mary and Joseph's culture for her to be pregnant before she was married. She would have been ostracized. She would have been shamed. She would have been pushed out of um, uh, religious community, right? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't this warm, inviting, celebratory story of, well, isn't this a great thing? An incredible amount of embarrassment. There's this, uh, anyone know what a meme is? You know what memes are, right? Some of you. All right. Um, well, there's these, there are these funny pictures that you see on, on the internet, okay? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the internet? Um, these things you see on the internet, they're, they're pictures, they have funny sayings, or they're like they're a screenshot of something that po- someone posted on Facebook. They can make you laugh, they can make you cry, they can make you angry, all right? This one in particular kind of made me chuckle as I thought about this, this week. Um, it's this. Uh, there's this uh, screenshot, right, of this um, girl on Twitter. Yeah, okay, here we go. Um, Want to feel attacked? Wear ripped jeans at any family event. Okay? Uh, so I wore ripped jeans this morning just because I thought it would be um, uh, appropriate. But, um, <laughs> you, I mean, you get the sentiment, right? You know, like, someone walks into family Christmas with, with, with ripped jeans. Oh, I hope you didn't pay full price for those. <laughs> right? You know, like, like <sighs> you know. <laughs> That, you know, those kind of things, right? Everyone and their brother, right? Oh, ripped jeans, oh, you need it. Here, let me pay for a full set of jeans for you or something like that. Okay, listen, you want to feel attacked? Go to family Christmas, pregnant, like nine axe handles wide, but promise that you're a virgin. <laughs> All right? Try, try and, like, try explaining that. I mean, like, oh, it's a great story, and we, be- like, oh, of course she was a virgin. Yeah, hello, and she got pregnant. Of course, it says right here, right, the angel Gabriel visited her. Ma and dad, right, ain't believing, I, I ain't believing none of that if it's my daughter, right? But girl, you got some issues. You're trying to pass that off. So we have this romanticized version of the story, right? But that's not, the, that's not reality. The, the reality is that this was messy. Man, and this was, this was not cookie cutter. And this was not necessarily happy. And so when Elizabeth and Mary come together with their like stories of pregnancy on both opposite sides of the spectrum, there has got to be this incredible tension, right? The same type of tension that would exist if 
all of the family that used to get together at my grandma and grandpa's got together now, right? Because so many of our lives are just so different, right? We're different people. So it just, man, it, it makes me want to, it makes me want to ask like really tough questions about the people that we interact with during the Christmas season because I'm just trying to imagine like Elizabeth and Mary walking into the family, grandma and grandpa's living room, both pregnant, right? Like, and part of the family is celebrating Elizabeth's pregnancy and the other part of the family or the same part of the family is like, Mary says she's a virgin, but we all know better. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. Apart from it being like kind of funny to talk about, let's just be honest about what the reality is there. Like, this is not normal. But what we see here is such an incredible story of the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth in particular. Mary, I can imagine... Maybe I felt a little bit of bitterness about everyone celebrating over Elizabeth's pregnancy. And Elizabeth probably was like, well, here's this young girl who's pregnant, who says she's still a virgin, and I've been trying all my life to get pregnant, and it just happened for me, and she's not stealing my spotlight. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But look at verse 42. Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit, in a loud voice, exclaimed to Mary, right? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you bear. Blessed are you among women, Mary. Blessed is the child that you are carrying. The question that that brings up for me is really about Elizabeth's character, right? When, when, the, like, when the choices or when the circumstances or when the baggage or personality or opinions or habits or attitudes of the people in our lives, when they rub us wrong, how do we maintain honor how do we maintain honor for them right how do we how do we display and exclaim the heart of jesus when the people around us right when their circumstances personalities opinions habits choices attitudes are so diametrically opposed or different or there's tension, or there's stress, or man, this would be a lot of fun if they weren't here type of attitude. And then on the flip side, on Mary, in Mary's case, like how, how do we defend our own hearts against bitterness and discontentment when, when we want what the other person has? Right? We get together with the people in our lives and we see their circumstance and we see how their life is going and we see what they have and we see what they're all about and they're all put together, right? And they got everything that I want. 
right? And, and that, that's the kind of life I want to live, right? And, and how do we guard our hearts against just a discontentment over our own situation or guard our hearts against bitterness towards them and towards God, against our lives or against even ourselves? So how does, how does Elizabeth, right, how, how does she show honor to Mary even in the midst of what she's seeing and what's on the surface? And how does Mary guard against the bitterness of like, man, I wish I had what Elizabeth had now, a husband and a family who accepted me and loved me and was excited for this child. I wish I had all that. How do we get there? I mean... It could be really simple and it could be really complicated and I don't mean to, I certainly don't mean to be trite, right? Or to oversimplify things. But um, really, there are some pretty universal answers. Uh, you know, I think that uh, you know, probably uh, one of the most important things is to, for each and every one of us to understand that uh, God's story for you, God's story for you is unique. Your circumstances, where you are in life, the things that have happened to you or not happened for you, what is going on, the relationships that you have, the relationships that you don't have is unique to you. And God's story for you is unique. It's not better than the person's next to you, and it's not worse than the person behind you. It's just yours. It's, it's your story being written specifically for you. Right? And if we, um, I think if we live our lives uh, constantly wanting a different story. If we live our lives constantly desiring that someone else's story or that our story would look um, a lot different than the one it actually is and look a lot more like the person over there, we, right, we, we deny, we, we forfeit uh, the, the, the redemption chapter that God is writing for you. When, when all we want is someone else's story, right? when, when, all we can, when all we can think about is, is how we don't want the story that we have, we want a different kind of story, right? All we're doing is saying, Lord, I don't trust you to write the chapters, right? I don't trust you to finish this in a good way. It's like, it's choose your own adventure, God, and uh, you ever read those books as a kid, right? Choose your own adventure books. You know, go to page 36 if you want to see this. Go to page 82 if you want to see this, right? Right? And, and we, don't trust, we don't trust God's choices, right? And we don't, we don't, we don't trust that, 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 no, that no matter what, listen, no matter what, all right, our God is in the business of redemption. That's, that's what he does, man. That is, that is what he is about. That is, that is all that he does. 
and, and there, is, there is no path that you have walked in your life. There is no choice that you have made in your life. There is no circumstance that you cannot whittle yourself out of right now. There is nothing in all of existence that you've done before, that you're doing now, or that you will do in the future that God cannot redeem. He will leverage every single circumstance and relationship and experience in your life for his glory. God will get the glory in your story. But it's your story. And you have to own your story. And you can't wish or pray your life away wanting someone else's. Either in a heart of bitterness, right? Because of what you don't have. Or annoyance over what someone else has. The beginning of something is never the same as the end of something. Here is the, um, the second thing. How do, we, how do we maintain honor when the choices or circumstances or personalities or opinions or habits or whatever of other people in our life rub us the wrong way? How do we defend against bitterness and discontentment when we want what other people have? The first is to understand that God's story for you is unique. Not better, not worse, just yours. The second is this, and I don't mean to be trite, but this is like, this is, this is what it all comes back. This is what it all comes down to. If this is too simple for you, then it's too simple, right? Listen, loving people and loving yourself is impossible without a deep love for God. So if like just absolutely dreading that Christmas thing that you got to go to because you just can't stand Uncle. Do we have any Jerry's in here? We don't have any Jerry's in here, I don't think. You just can't stand Uncle Jerry, right? He is a jerk. And you don't want anything to do with him, and he rubs you the wrong way makes fun of you and he hits on your wife and he's mean to your kids right <laughs> at home must be must be we have some creepy uncle jerry's in the house <laughs> um, but but you're just like you're over it and you're just like i'm not not spending time with that guy i'm not going there I'm not subjecting my family to him. I'm not like, I'm not going to ruin my holiday. I'm not going to be like, listen, um, I get it. I've got him in my life, right? You've got him in yours. The reality is, is that loving people and loving yourself is not next to impossible, right? Not, not, not really hard, but possible. No, that's not what I'm saying. Impossible. If you're not pursuing love of God. Meaning that you will never get past those feelings for Uncle Jerry. You will never move past them. You will never see him in, with, with a different set of glasses on. You will, you will never have a relationship with him. You will always not want to go. You will always dread it. Right? You will never be able to love him fully if you're not pursuing a relationship of love with God. 
how was, how, like, maybe we gloss over this too, like, how could Mary and Elizabeth celebrate with each other in this moment when they were so, like, on different sides of the spectrum here, right? It seems to me, right, that, that when, when Luke says that Elizabeth was upright, blameless, observing all the commandments of God, right? That is saying like, she, she understood being in love with God, right? She understood pursuing a relationship with God. She, she understood like that, that, that that came first, that that was the, the base level upon which all of her other relationships and circumstances flowed out of was her relationship, her love for God, her pursuit of a relationship with God. And Mary, in the same way, you think this girl, for, I mean, like, listen, I, can't, I can barely say on a daily basis, right? Uh, like Mary says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Be, uh, may it be to me as you have said. Right? When we were singing this morning, I surrender all, I surrender all, I surrender. I, I wanted to be like, oh, I surrender some, Lord. Right? Not all of it. Not all of it. I'm holding on to some stuff. Right? I'm holding on to some people. I'm holding on to some attitudes. I'm holding on to some habits. I'm holding on to some things like the, you know, like the warm and fuzzies that like aren't good for me, but I'm, they're mine, so I'm holding on to them. Like, I surrender some, but I don't surrender all. But you have this girl, Mary, who's having like probably the most traumatic experience of her life, right? I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you wish. Like, that is absolute trust in the Lord. That is absolute, like, Lord, I am following your for my life. I am following your desires for my life. I don't care what the other people behind me are saying. I don't care how shameful it makes me look, how disgraceful it makes me look, how I get ostracized or separated from my family or my friends or whatever. Like, Lord, I'm following you, and if you say it's going to be okay, Lord, it's going to be okay, I'm with you, right? And so here we have both Elizabeth and Mary, different circumstances, different lives, different experiences, both saying, both able to celebrate one another, both able to love one another despite the massive differences. Why? Because they both love God fully. And when we love God fully, right? Uh, the scripture says in 1 John that, um, that, that in, in him, in God, there is all, there can be no darkness, right? So when we are, when we are, when we are full of the Holy Spirit of God, right? When, when, when our lives are we're overflowing with the presence of the Holy Spirit, when we are full of light, we have no room for darkness, right? There's not like this epic battle between how much darkness will be in a room and how much light will be in a room, right? When a room is dark and you walk in it and turn the light switch on, the darkness has no choice. It must leave, Right? You don't see this epic battle of the light coming on and the darkness fighting against it. No, when the light is present, the darkness is gone, right? And when our hearts, when our lives, right, are full of the light of God, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, every corner of darkness, every cobweb in every skeleton in every closet, it must flee. If you want those Christmas experiences to not be dreadful because of that 
person. God, Uncle Jerry. All right? You must understand that first and foremost, above everything and anything else, is the love you have for God. Of course, we know this from Mark chapter 12, lots of other um, places in the scripture. But in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is asked, uh, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Right? What is the greatest commandment? Like, dude's got one, he's got one, got one shot. Like, this guy nailed it. What's the greatest commandment? Just tell me the most important thing, Lord, quick. Right? I gotta go, but quick, tell me. What's he say? Mark 12, you know, you know it? Do you know it? Right? Go there. Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law, verse 28, came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these, right? Um, listen, the dude asked for how many? What is the greatest what? One, what did Jesus give them? Two, why? Because Jesus doesn't see them as separate. When he said, um, what is the greatest commandment? He, he ended with, and uh, he ended, there is no commandment greater than these, plural, together. Right? That the, that the love of God and the love of others, it's so, they're so intimately intertwined with each other that they cannot be separated. Right? And listen, when we love God, we can more easily see the kingdom purposes behind every and all circumstances, relationships, personalities, opinions, habits, choices, and attitudes. Listen, um, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, he says this, um, be completely, listen, this, this, is our, this, is our Christ, this is your Christmas gathering, right? Gonna be having to go to dinner with Uncle Jerry type of verse, all right? Get yourself a couple note cards, write this on your hand, write this on your note card, Take some tape, stick it to your steering wheel, put it on the mirror in your bathroom, put it on your fridge, someplace that you're going to go and see it all the time. Memorize this, get it in your heart, get it in your life. Let the light of God in the power of the Holy Spirit through the presence of his word change your mind about Uncle Jerry, all right? Because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love listen did you know that I have these things up here they're not exactly calibrated perfectly but we all understand how they work right did you know that the way that you love I'm just going to keep riding this Uncle Jerry analogy because it's working, right? Um, did you know that the way that you love and interact with Uncle Jerry can change the trajectory of his life? 
When we, when we bear with one another in love, we, 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 we literally channel, or ready for it, become a conduit a conduit of the transforming power of God in other people's lives. Imagine, okay, on... I'm a little nervous about this. My wife was cautioning the carefulness of this. Imagine have on one side of the scale, we have Uncle Jerry, right? And we have, um, we have all of Uncle Jerry's habits and his, um, just his personality in general, uh, his opinions, um, <laughs> his choices, his attitudes, just everything that he is. And it is like tipping the scale big time in the I don't want to be here for Christmas because I can't stand this guy. Right? Um, and it's just like, it's heavy. It's oppressive, and it's dominating. And it's, you just, you don't want to be around it. Right? And well, what, is, what does scripture say? Well, scripture says that that love changes everything, right? That's what we believe here at Conduit, right? That Jesus is everything and the gospel changes it all, right? That the love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, right, changes everything. Everything. It changes people, right? It changes churches. It changes, your, changes homes. It changes cities. It changes worlds. It changes your eternity. That love changes everything ever and always, no power greater than the power of love. None whatsoever. You know, you, you've all been to weddings and you've all heard 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Read. Love is this, love is that, love is this, love is this. Well, I, I absolutely cringe and almost, almost refuse to do that as a pastor at weddings because... Um, Paul was not diluting, right, um, love in a, just, down to, just down to marriage, right? Oh, you only need to be patient and kind um, and always trusting and always hoping and always persevering in your marriages, right? So we're going to read. No, listen. Um, compared to some of y'all, my wife is like super easy to love. Right? You get, like, your spouse is the easiest person for you to love. It's not hard to be patient with my spouse. It's not, it's not always, my, my, my spouse is almost, ne Sherry's almost never, Sherry's never rude to me. Okay? <laughs> but, but you get what I'm saying, right? If, like, if we, if we only use 1 Corinthians 13 to describe the relationship between me and my wife, right? Then, then we eliminate the power of love to transform the relationships with the Uncle Jerry's in our lives. Because imagine being around the Christmas table 
um, with, with, uh, with Uncle Jerry over here who's dominating the room through his idiocy, right? And instead, we, out of nowhere, right? Out of nowhere, uh, we show an immeasurable, an immeasurable amount of patience. And then we go, we go beyond, beyond patience, right? We're not just patient with him. Um, we, are, we are kind. We're kind. And then we're not just kind. We're not, we're not envious about anything that Uncle Jerry has. He's rich, and that's why he's kind of a jerk, but we love him anyway. We're not envious of what he has. Um, we don't boast in what we have to try and take you know, like, take the spotlight away from him. I really hope this works. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it would be really easy in those moments, right, to um, just be rude. Just to be flat out rude to him. Because he's rude to everyone else. Right? Just be rude. Um, or self-seeking, or easily angered. Listen, every step of love we take moves the needle to change his life. And sometimes it's like, really small, so it's almost imperceptible, right? But, but then when we could be angry, love demands that we not be easily angered. And that even knowing who Jerry is and what he's done before, that we don't keep any of the wrongs of his life. And we don't delight, we don't delight in the evil. But as, as the word says, we, we, listen, we're just here to rejoice in the truth. Right? What I'm saying is this, is that you, all right, you can unbalance the scale with the people in your life through the power of the gospel and just loving. You can change the trajectory of your whole family. You can change the environment of the holiday, of the season. You, it, the catalyst for change can be you. But not, not just you, right? But, but who you are 
in moments where it would have been so much easier to just be rude, to just be impatient, to just not be kind, to, be, to get angered easily, right? But, but man, if there's one, man, we're, we're going to be Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 people around the people of our lives this Christmas, right? We're going to be completely humble and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another in love because we know that the power of love can unbalance the scale for our family and for that person. Would you pray with me, please?